is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 182 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to not one, but two lovely guests, T.B. Markinson and Miranda McLeod, and we're going to be talking all about marketing in a niche and author collaborations. But first to last week's question, which was, tell me something interesting that you've learned this year. So author Lena M. Johnson said someone just got her strengths test result and is already having her mind blown. Turns out that thing I've been yelling at myself for the past year is actually my number one strength. Hello, massive mindset change. Uh, I love that. Obviously, you guys know that I absolutely adore uh, strengths. I nearly said competition. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, you can tell what kind of day it's been already. Uh, Yeah, I love strengths. Uh, Also, obviously, I love competition, uh, but I I love strengths. And I love the mindset changes that it can create, the happiness, the joy, the acceptance of oneself. I just think it's so powerful. I really, truly believe it is a... um, I don't know, like a like a superpower, even like the system in itself. Even if, you know, you don't want to believe in the validity of it, which you should because they've had over 27 million tests, so that's a lot of data, um, it still is super powerful. So if you haven't got your strengths, what are you waiting for? <laughs> anyway, Eden Collier says, well, if this isn't a question for me, I learned that male snakes have... <laughs> Two penises, apparently. They start developing as legs, but then they transform into penises. And yes, female ones have two clitoris, clitori, clitoris, clitorises, clitori. Ah, if anyone knows the answer to that, please tell me. Um, So yeah, that is fascinating. I had no idea. Um, I didn't even know that snakes had clitoris had a clitoris uh what does it do i mean i don't know that i want to know never mind i am gonna move on from this very interesting but slightly bizarre fact okay so the question of the week this week is what's the best book you've read this year so we are yeah we are at almost the end of the first quarter of the year what the fuck how is that possible um and so i would love to know what is the best book you've read uh, so far this year I have been struggling to uh, keep up with my reading goal for this year. I I would say two years ago was uh, a really great year. I think I read like 120 books or something. And then last year I read just over 100. Uh, so I slowed down quite considerably. And this year, oh my goodness me, I've just been so slow. So I'm trying to... Um, do more reading for fun rather than obligation reading like for the podcast and stuff. Um, And at one point I was, I don't know, like eight books behind my goal, which I don't think I've ever been that far behind. Um, And I'm obviously also trying not to make reading a chore, uh, but I also have realized that I do work better when my reading has a purpose. And I know that probably sounds a little bit like I am making it a chore, but actually I get so many energy pennies from reading that I don't really care the reason or the method for the motivation to make me read. So I am now, um, I have decided to binge read uh, for my next series, which I think is gonna be a vampire series, but I'm not, I mean, I'm reading for a vampire series. I will make that decision later, but yes, I'm reading for it. So if you have any recommendations, I would love to hear them. Things that I love, uh, smut, obviously. (laughs) So if it's vampires and romance, even better. Um, I do like more sort of modern and fast pace. Um, If it's sapphic and it's romance, even better. I have got a few of those on my list. But yeah, if you have read any amazing vampire books, please do let me know. I've read the obvious ones like Twilight. Sorry for everyone who hates on Twilight. I actually didn't mind it. (laughs) It was a very long time ago that I read it. I think I probably was a teenager at the time. Um, And I have read uh, the True Blood series. I've watched the Vampire Diaries and the originals. Um, Queen of the Damned, I've watched Interview with a Vampire. So yeah, I don't know. If you guys know of any TV shows or any movies or any books that you would recommend with vampires, I'm basically binge reading anything and everything. So please, 
actually I'm not binge reading anything and everything I'm being quite particular <laughs> DNFing quite a lot even though I don't normally um but yeah please do let me know speaking of which the book recommendation of the week this week is Filthy Rich Vampires by Geneva Lee now um this is a this is a book that I wouldn't normally like because it has a lot of tropes in that I'm not a huge fan of. So it's got the virgin trope in there, pregnancy trope in there, and a, a, or, or kind of a hint of pregnancy trope. Anyway, they're, they're tropes that I don't really like. However, I could not put this book down. I read it really quickly. I devoured it and then kind of hated myself at the end because despite those tropes, I still wanted to read on. Um, so yeah, I really loved it. And if you want kind of a fun sassy like fast paced still still has some steam in it uh vampire vampire romance and i really recommend filthy rich vampires by geneva lee it was super fun and i loved it like i can't i can't lie i did love it uh and geneva's a wicked writer so yeah i highly recommend okay so in personal news and update then I am 57 and a half thousand words through book two, A Game of Romance and Ruin, and you can pre-order it. So um, if you read and enjoyed A Game of Hearts and Heists, you can currently pre-order the digital version of A Game of Romance and Ruin. So I'll leave the link in the show notes to that. Um, and I am expecting to finish, I would say either tomorrow or Monday, because it is Thursday the 16th of March as I uh, record this. And I know that the first draft is going to run short. There's a multitude of reasons for that. Um, and so the editing is going to be a little bit heavier this time. I am trying to get it done by the end of the month, the, the edits that is. Whether or not I do that, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go hell for leather because I don't want to miss my slots. Um, especially because I do have a release date in mind and it's not the release date that's on Amazon either. So on Amazon, I've said September and I don't want to release it then. I'd like to release it as soon as fucking possible, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. But um, yeah, not September, much sooner, especially if I do finish it in the next couple of days. So yeah, I finally feel like I have the flow of the story and I'm kind of getting to grips with it and just accepting that the story is what the story is. There's been a little bit of like... I don't know. I think competition, because we, our frame of reference so often is comparison. I have been comparing book one to book two, and that is not fucking helpful when you're trying to write the book. Uh, because they're not the same. They're different characters. It's a different trope. It's a different plot line. And so it can't essentially be the same. Um, and so I've just had this battle. And so I started reading book one again, just to like take out some of the details and just like reference stuff and make sure I'm including some like all the correct world building and stuff, which has been a really useful exercise. And given that I absolutely hate rereading, including rereading my own books, um, it's been not actually that bad. It's been quite pleasant, which is which is a great sign, right? <laughs> like I've enjoyed the book that I've written. I mean, it's not surprising really, is it? I had such a fucking laugh like writing it. Um, and I finally feel like I'm there in that place with book two. And I think what I've been doing is fighting like for some reason I was like trying to fight doing the things that I wanted to do in this book. Like I won, I did them anyway, which is why I've had fun writing it. But um, yeah, it's just psychological mindfuckery because also, you know, book one's done okay. And so then I've placed expectations on book two and you just can't do that when you're, when you're doing the writing. So yeah, it's been really interesting. And I'm, oh, I'm just so excited that I have finally, like, I, I know it's like towards the end of the book, but I finally got my teeth in and I've really sunk into like what these characters want. Like they are so fucking naughty. Like they have not done what they should have done according to the plot of the outline. <laughs> like, and I know I sound like crazy because like, how is it possible that characters can go off and do what they want? But they can apparently. So um, yeah, it's been really interesting. I feel like almost they have been schooling me on what they want in this story. So yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm excited to get to the end. And for once in my life, I'm actually excited to edit because I can really see how I'm going to be able to make this book better. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to... I don't know. I'm just excited. I just love writing this series. <laughs> you guys know that. And that's pretty much all I've been doing as well. I did go and do my birthday day in London, uh, which, uh, well, 
So the day itself was lovely. Um, we walked like a bazillion miles <clears throat> and I hurt the next day just, just because of all the, all the walking. I did not get uh, as many books as I was hoping or even the books that I was hoping to get. So, we, you know, we ended up going to quite a few different bookstores and they didn't have them. So I've, I ended up ordering them online, which I was upset to do because I wanted to give the money to the bookstores, but they didn't have the books. Um, so we're going to go to a different bookstore this weekend, a different Waterstones. And like a, it's still a big one. It's not the, like the size of the one in London, but um, it's still a pretty big bookstore. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to buy some more books. And uh, so, yeah, if anyone does have recommendations, please do let me know because I need to spend my vouchers. Okay, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can update you on. I don't think so, because by the time I record the next one, I should have finished the book, and then I'll be into editing. In terms of things that I'm doing coming up, I'm going to be at 20 Books Seville. Uh, I will be speaking there, and I'm also going to be speaking at London Book Fair. So if anyone is going to those two events, please let me know, uh, as I would love to say hello. But by no means least, I was working on writing the 500 words a day um, as per Rachel's um, concept that she was using. And it worked for a little while. And then as the further I got into uh, a game of romance and ruin, the harder I was finding it to split my attention and focus. So I stopped. Uh, however, I have got a few thousand words of uh, the villain's journey. And um, that is going to stand me in good stead before well when I do that book next because that book is the next book um so yeah that will stand me in good stead for when I start that I did find also that I needed um a little bit of headspace to work on the villain's journey and so I don't think that um I am going to do the 500 words a day anymore um uh, until I have finished editing and handed this book off so that I then have full headspace to work on on that book so I can really do it justice so yeah Okay, the Rebel of the Week this week is Maggie. So Maggie says, since the podcast question of the week was about April Fools, I thought I would share my favourite one with you. Pre-pandemic, I spent a couple of years trying to online date, which let's just say it was a huge fail. It is also a lifelong dream to go to Ireland, which I'm still saving for. Unlike now, when, where I am perfectly happy being single, at that time, my kids, adults, knew I was pretty frustrated and feeling alone. So on the morning of April Fool's, I sent him this text. Have to give them credit. They were trying to be calm and kind while completely freaking out until they figured it out later in the afternoon. So mum says, I didn't want to tell you until I knew for sure and there's still lots of details to work out, but I just got accepted to a mail order bride program in Ireland. They will start circulating my profile and I should have a, a husband match in the next three to six months. And then I'll be moving to my dream country. Think how far a family trip to Ireland will be with a bonus of a new stepdad oh, and, and then the, the kids say I have so much to say but I'm at work and about 11 T exclamation marks and then capital letters wow and then another child says what oh my I love, love, love April Fools so much. Like, so, so much. Uh, my dad and I are always trying to get each other. I did get him a couple of years running. He got me one year, whilst I had a work colleague in the car as well. Oh, my God, it was so funny. Oh, dear. Okay, thank you so much for your rebellion. And if you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It doesn't even have to be your rebellion. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. No new patrons this week, but a huge, enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm actually really excited because we are joined by not one, but two guests. Today, I am joined by TB Markinson and Miranda McLeod. TB is an American who's recently returned to the US after a seven-year stint in the UK and Ireland. When she isn't writing, she's traveling the world, watching sports on the telly, visiting pubs in New England, or reading. 
not necessarily in that order. Miranda lives in New England and writes heartfelt romances and romantic comedies featuring witty and charmingly flawed women who love women. Before becoming a writer, she spent way too many years in graduate school, made costumes for professional theatre and film, and held temp jobs in just about every office building in downtown Boston. In addition to writing, Miranda and TB are co-owners of the iHeart Sapphic, a website dedicated to promoting and celebrating sapphic fiction. Their novel, The AM Show, won a Golden Crown Literary Award in 2022. Hello and welcome. Hello, and thanks for that lovely introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> you are most welcome. I'm really excited to have you both here. Um, I have listened to your podcast for ages, so um, it's lovely. And obviously, I know we met uh, a few years ago at London Book Fair. Miranda, it's lovely to meet you for the first time. So before we dive into the questions, I wondered if, well, first of all, how did you guys meet? And what is what is your sort of journey each to how you got to where you are today? Our our introduction in life started off very early, I should say. Uh, we were born in the same hospital seven weeks apart. Miranda's going to correct me now and say it was how many weeks? Or nine weeks. Or nine weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> did you go to the same school? We did. We, we did. went to the same elementary school in uh, junior high, and then I moved in high school. And then um, this was back in the late 80s early 90s i'm really bad with numbers which is why miranda keeps correcting me on numbers and then i i moved away from uh, california to colorado and started high school there and we lost touch because this was like free like where everything was tracked online so this was back in the uh, dinosaur age where you didn't know what happened to everybody and then um when i moved to Dublin, which we'll talk about in more detail because that's how that's when I started iHeart Sapphic. Um, I started reaching out to authors and I emailed Miranda and like we we both have pen names and I emailed Miranda not knowing it was Miranda from childhood. No. Yeah. And then um, we started exchanging emails and we fell into a really quick, easy going banter with each other. And then in one email, she mentioned something and I stopped and said, this person knows exactly where I'm from. And <laughs> I started fishing casually because I'm kind of a private person. I realized, and I think everyone else is a really private person. And then we realized that, uh, yes, indeed, we had known each other for so long. And so, um, yeah. So when people ask how we co-write so well together, I'm like, because we've known each other forever. <laughs> Literally forever. Oh my God, I li I, I have goosebumps. That's an incredible story. That is a friendship that was destined to happen. That was like a fake friendship. I'm I'm convinced of that. That's incredible. Um I I, I actually can't get over it. <laughs> so like, how did you get into writing? Like, what is your journey? It was um you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I think that that's one of those things where, um, you know, for a long time I worked in marketing and I did writing on a daily basis, just doing um, ad copy and lots of email communications. And so I didn't, I didn't pursue fiction writing because I felt like by the end of the day, I'd already, I'd already spent my time doing that. But um, for me, it was the the closer I got to my 40th birthday, which was um, now quite a while ago. But uh, the closer I got to that, it was one of those milestone birthdays where I started to think, there are a lot of things I've always said I want to do. And if I don't start doing them soon, I, I'm running out of time. <laughs> so for me, um, it was it was having that um, that milestone and thinking I'd better start really making this happen so that was that was what urged me to start looking into it and um that and the uh the shift that had taken place toward self-publishing and away from kind of that scary um you know submitting the stories of i got 175 rejection letters and i wallpapered my bathroom with them like i didn't want to do that so yeah no no there was no fucking way like this this was <laughs> this is why self-publishing appealed to me so much because like for a really long time i definitely wanted the validation like mm -hmm. i was i was desperate for the validation um and then and then like the closer i got to finishing the first book i was literally like 
no one's going to tell me no. Like, I've worked my fucking ass off for this. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, I found Joanna Penn's podcast and I, you know, and you just dive into the world of India. And I was like, ah, oh, th- this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I, but yeah, part of me is still like, oh, you know, like, it would be nice to be validated in some kind of way. But also, like, fuck that. Nobody is literally going to stop me publishing anything. So, <laughs> um, well, it's, it's the readers, the readers validation. That's the that's the validation I want. I want the readers to say, hey, I really enjoyed your story. And that means so much to me. So, yes, yes, yeah. completely agree. I completely agree. And ultimately, that's actually why we're doing this. And like they are our customers. So mm-hmm. they're the bosses, not a publisher with a random agenda. Um, OK, so I asked you to come on for a couple of different reasons. But one of them is I Heart Sapphic, of which I was following back when it was called something else. So let's start with I Heart Sapphic. What is it? Like, why did you start it? And how has it sort of grown and evolved over the years? Like, what is the journey of it? All right. I, I I will answer that question since I am the founder of the website. And it was originally called I Heart Lesbic because that was the term at the time. We changed it to Sapphic to be more inclusive. But um, how did it start? So it started in 2017 or was it 2016? I'm really bad at it's when I left <laughs> London and moved to Dublin. Okay. <laughs> around the 2016, 2017 era. It was 2017. It was 2017 when I started it, but I, I moved from um london right after the brexit vote so that was 2016 that was 2016 yes. fucking hell god yes. it went on forever didn't it still going on but yes yeah, so so it kind of um it the whole journey started when i moved from i'm american as you stated and um my partner was transferred from our uh the boston office to the london office in 2011 i believe and um, I suddenly f- found myself without a job. I'd always worked in like desk jobs I absolutely hated. I always wanted to be a writer, but I never had the time to do it. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a different country with a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> so um, that's when I started looking into publishing. And it was the London Book Fair, actually, that kind of got it, that like turbocharged it while I was in London because I was walking my dog past Earl's Court. That's when it used to be at Earl's Court. And I saw a sign that said London Book Fair. And I was like, I want to go to that. So I didn't know what it was. And I went and then I ended up sitting in on some uh, terrible, very bad. This was before they had like the whole author central part for the London Book Fair. But um, it was about indie publishing and everything. And I started doing some research. And that's how I got involved in indie publishing. And so um, 2013, I started publishing my first book. I think I published two books that year. And by 2016, um, two major things happened in my life. Uh, the first was I had my first very successful book launch in, I forget what month, but um, in 2016. So it was the time where I was like, I actually can turn this into a full-time career. This is excellent. So I was on a high, <laughs> I was on a huge high. And we were getting ready to leave London to go to Dublin for a year because there was a weird hiccup with our uh british visa and we had to leave the country for 12 months for a cooling off period and then reapply for our visa to see if we wanted to uh, legitimately stay and we did want to legitimately stay so that's how i ended up in dublin and so when i landed in uh the uk in 2011 i had a work permit right away like as soon as i landed in the country it was all clear but the um irish immigration system was different and um, we didn't find out until three weeks before we were leaving to go to Dublin that I was denied a work permit. So I had just published a really successful book. I had just decided this was my career. Three weeks later, I went crashing down back to earth. And I found out that for the entire time I was in Dublin, which was supposed to be 12 months, turned into 18 months, um, that I couldn't publish anything new. I could collect royalties, but I couldn't publish anything new. And then I know there are people there who are listening and are like, well, why don't you just publish on the sly? Because I was on my partner's visa, which was tied to her work. So I was in a bind. Were you allowed to like fly to America for like a day and publish or? I was advised by our lawyers not to. Oh, man. Unless I set up residence in America. Oh, man. So, So I... 
I spent about three days very upset. We have a rule in my family that like when you have a blow like that, you get three days to wallow and eat ice cream <laughs> and I do whatever that. you need to do, cry it out. And then on the fourth day, you get up, you brush off your knees, pick yourself up and you figure out a way around it. And so I spent the first few months trying to figure out my way around it. And also, I just moved to Ireland, which was just an it's an absolutely beautiful place. So I was exploring and I was enjoying life. And then I was like, okay, I need to start focusing on my career again. How do I do that without publishing? And so I started, um, I since I could make royalties on previously published books, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start networking like hell. Networking with all the top um, authors in the genre and organizing sales. And so I did the first sale with Claire Lydon, who you know, and Harper Bliss, I believe you also know. Yeah. So I, I organized a sale with them. It was just the three of us and it worked really well. And I was like, okay, this is, this is something, this is something I can work with. And so I started organizing sales with other authors and I started connecting with other authors and I realized this was kind of a winning formula. <laughs> so it was able to, you know, to keep the money coming in and it was able to keep my name out there. This is the part with indie publishing, like it's all about staying active, especially in a small niche genre like sapphic fiction. So um, that's when I started getting the kernel of the idea for I Heart Sapphic, but I wasn't sure what direction I was going to take it yet because I had success with the sales. And I initially was going to build the sapphic version of BookBub. That's, well, that, what that's I how I think of it. That's actually how yes. I, I've definitely described it as that to other people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what initially what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go full steam ahead with the sapphic version of BookBub. But then within weeks of making that decision, Harper Bliss and her missus, they launched My Less Fic, which was the sapphic version of BookBub. And so I was like, oh, great. I can't compete. A, they're good friends of mine. And um, it's such a niche market like i i need to pivot i spent a lot of time in 2016 and 2017 pivoting <laughs> so um i that's when i started planning the new release newsletter because i was like okay because while i was in ireland i was writing a lot um i could still write obviously i just couldn't publish them so i was like writing a lot i ended up writing like seven or eight books while i was wow. there so i knew when i got back to london that i would need help with the launch strategy i would need a system in place and everything. And um, so I started the new release newsletter to just help get word out about other people's new releases. Um, one of those people of like, you put good out into the universe, good will come back. Yes, I completely so, agree with that, especially so, in the indie space. Yes, absolutely. So that's how I, that's how I launched um, I Heart Sapphic. And the big draw for the first year or two was the new release newsletter, which comes out on Tuesday. The reason it comes out on Tuesday is I used to work in a um, a, a big bookstore chain in the U.S. And Tuesday was always like the traditional release day. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to stick with that. And that is how the website started. So there was a, a few pivots along the way. And then um, it's just grown from there. And I'll let Miranda tell you how it's evolved over time because she's the driving force to the evolution. And I'm sorry, if you can hear purring or vibrating, it is my cat. <laughs> he's like, he's sat on the desk and won't sit still. So <laughs> um, we welcome any animal. Yes, my, my cat is actually on my desk right now too. Just yeah. Yeah, we're lucky we don't have both of them because it would be chaos. They do both like to sit on the desk and generally try and steal my coffee and things, but uh, I, I try and prevent that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, since um, si I, I think that originally there was just the one new release newsletter. Um, it went out once a week uh, and then eventually the website a uh, component of it was added, but uh, up until recently, the website was um, not very, it wasn't very user-friendly for searching for anything prior to what was happening this week. So if you were looking for a current new release, it was great. If you were trying to find a book that you remembered from six months ago, good luck to you. Yeah. And so some of the things that we've um, evolved over time um, there are now four newsletters per week. Um, 
we have the reading challenge and sales every week on Mondays. New releases still on Tuesdays. And then for Friday and Saturday, which in our experience is always when people are looking for books for their weekends, um, there are a lot of recaps and fun things, getting to know authors, um, just a little bit of a more playful um, newsletters on Friday and Saturday. And then we have the newly relaunched website, which is completely searchable, completely um, mobile friendly. It's um, every every book that we're, I, I mean, we're really hoping that every sapphic book that's ever been published will eventually find its way into the database that we have. You're, it's adult uh, only though, right? So you're not, what you is that? it's adult wait, wait. only, you don't have YA on there, do you? Oh we no, we, we have YA, we oh. have some uh, middle grade. So I love yeah. this because I, with with my journey into writing sapphic, I originally thought that I wanted to write YA. So I collected a database of like 250 books. So I will definitely email that to you because yes. like I wasn't sure if you were collecting YA. So that's why I hadn't like reached out and asked because I, I had assumed it was adult only. But your that database is like my favorite thing. Like it is incredible. And I am on it all of the time looking up stuff and like getting it just like whether it's books that I want to read or searching for comp authors to like target or to reach mm -hmm. out to. It's mm -hmm. absolutely fucking incredible. It is the most valuable resource I think I have ever like ever seen. And I really think that every genre needs one of those databases. It's fantastic. Um so, okay, but IHS is a is dual pronged. You've kind of alluded to that already. You've got the reader side and also the author side. So like, why do you think collaborating on marketing stuff, especially as authors in a niche is so important? And can you talk about some of the practical things or ways that you can actually collaborate? Um, Miranda, do you wanna take that or do you want me to? Uh, I, can, I can start. Um, one thing I would say, about um, sapphic fiction, especially compared to any other genre I've ever encountered, is that um, the overlap between readers and authors is very high. Um, the number of people who started out as readers and then said, I have an idea for my own book, and actually take that idea and write the book and publish it is just, I think, phenomenally great than going to any other, even any other romance um, genre or, or or any other genre out there. So it makes sense, I think, for us, because we know that we're reaching, we're really reaching both at the same time. Um, but the collaboration, um, and, and I think we'll probably touch on this a few times, but um, the resources that are available um, to sapphic fiction, to LGBTQ fiction, it's so limited compared to other genres. Um, there are so many newsletters that don't accept um, an LGBTQ uh, book at all. Um, and the ones that do, you often, if you if they make their numbers available, they have, you know, 100,000 subscribers for everything else. And then their, their list is like, oh, uh, you know, 5,000. And these are people who read um, who, who read gay romance, who read sapphic romance, who are looking for memoirs, who are looking for nonfiction. So it, it's so hard with the resources that are out there to target that the best way that we found is to combine the resources within our own community because we all have our own fans, our own social media outreach that we're already doing. And not every fan subscribes to every newsletter. So the idea of getting everyone together and amplifying everyone's message just made sense because we already have our own um, community of readers and really no one else is tapping into that in the, the mainstream. Yeah, I definitely found like when I started researching and, and going down this rabbit uh, hole uh, that a lot of the newsletters where they did have LGBT, it was predominantly like gay male um, readers. And so I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not helpful. But then the other thing that I found is that authors, sapphic authors in particular, are like way more approachable and way more willing to help new authors than any other genre or, or or area that I have been in so far. And like I say that indie authors in general are extremely helpful just <clears throat> 
sort of as a whole. But it, it's that that I think is amplified even more in sapphic fiction, especially for new authors. It, it's you know it, people don't seem to care; they just want to help, and that is incredible. Um, and also really lovely and welcoming. And I and I think often we can feel a bit like left out or like as if there are cliques or whatever in genres and it just doesn't feel like that in, in sapphic fiction. So that, that's been incredible. Um, okay. So any advice for new authors coming into a niche, like, yeah, where do they start and how do they start building relationships when you have nothing to kind of give or offer? My first advice would be for anybody who's starting in a genre, not just niche or anything, but um, familiarize yourself with the genre to begin with. There, um, start reading like the top authors in the genre. Start um, studying the genre. Um, figure out what tropes are really selling and stuff like that. And then I would suggest um, starting off kind of slow um, when you're networking. Like you know, join some Facebook groups that are um, dedicated to the genre, make friends and stuff like that. I've had a lot of new authors who come in extremely hot into my email who come in with a, like really big ass. And I'm like, I don't know you. And um, I know I'm the helpful one. <laughs> like I built a website to help you, but you know, try and build a relationship first. Like when I was starting with um, I Heart Sapphic, like I had built a name but I was still kind of shot. Well, I'm always really shy and I'm filled with self-doubt from birth. Like I am just like an anxiety ball all the time. So my way I started networking and um, was I started reading the books in the genre and I started studying them. And then when I was wanting to start IHS, I started, you know, emailing authors and um, we all love to hear that someone likes our book. <laughs> like It's like the biggest like happy part of the day if like you get an email but like I just read your book and you can actually state things about the book like this is how uh, Miranda and I reconnected because I emailed her I think it was um a road through mountains yeah. that I read and I emailed her and I was like I just read a road through mountains I really like this part of the story and stuff like that and that's how we started the conversation I think it's very important if you're going to network with authors in the genre to build some kind of relationship and then um it's much easier for me to say yes to an author that is asking for help if I have some kind of, you know, trust in, in a feel form and stuff like that, instead of someone emailing and being like, you're the person that helps me and I just launched a book. Can you put it at, in your newsletter? And then like, that's it. And there's like, no, like, at least say hi. <laughs> it's it, it's just the way you build um, networking in real life as well. Like you go to like a certain events or like you in the book world you can go to like the london book fair we met at the london book fair and so when you reached out you said i don't know if you remember me but we met and i was like i absolutely do remember you and it's much easier to start on that footing than instead of just coming in really hot and making demands and i found in my experience um like i said if you put good out there good will come back so if you start offering to help others and then when you do need help and you can ask for it um, they're more willing to. And so that is my piece of advice. Um, build friendships. Um, don't view other authors as uh, the competition. They're your colleagues. And build some kind of community. I think that's so wonderful. And like, I know uh, pitches that come into me for this podcast. I can tell instantly when somebody has listened to just two episodes in order to be able to reference those episodes versus somebody who's actually listened to the show for weeks on end um mm. it's it's and and it's not that just listening to a couple of episodes is wrong that's not wrong i don't mind people doing that obviously but it it sets off a different tone when you know mm -hmm. somebody is genuinely a fan versus or genuinely a listener versus somebody <clears throat> who is literally just trying to network. And both both are valid, but it does you know create a different feel, I suppose. Um, yeah, uh, Miranda, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, just that to to touch on the like the social media part coming into groups. Um, I think that people who who start by trying to build, uh, you know, answering questions, asking questions there, rather than the drop 
you know, dropping in and just, um, you know, putting a picture of their book cover and then saying like, oh, you know, help me promote this. Here's my book. It, yeah, it definitely, the, the people who, that you know are there for the long term, you're much more likely, even if you're starting out and you don't have a lot, okay, fine, you don't have followers, you don't have a newsletter or whatever, but you're clearly showing that you're putting the work in by making these connections rather than just trying to like throw flyers out there, you know? Yes, the, the people who drop into the um, sapphic Facebook groups, the authors, and they just like drop a link of their new book and like no connection whatsoever. Like, what? Well, well, give a reason why. Like, say if it if it's like you know, space cowboys say or cowboys space cowgirl. Sorry, <laughs> say it and then um, and then like try and make a connection with the readers. I think one of the things a lot of authors forget about is not only making connections with the authors but with the readers. Give them a reason to like you. And then if you if you get the um, people to like you and give you a chance and then if your book is good, they'll they'll be fans for a very long time. You have to build everything from the start. And one of the best ways to do it, like I try to build my brand on just being nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like my mindset towards marketing has changed an awful lot over the years. And in terms of like connecting with the readers, I I used to get really up, not up, I used to get really like uppity about marketing and thinking it had to be this big, hard, complicated thing. And actually what I'm doing now is like, uh, what bits about my book did I like the most? Like, where did I have the most fun writing? Like, they're the things I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, or, or like the tropes that I intentionally put in there because they're the things that I bloody love. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know, like over the last year, I've just decided to like unite with my inner two-year-old and only write fun stuff and it's completely changed my before I was just like oh you know marketing and now I'm like yeah I want to talk about this book it's fucking brilliant like of course I'm going to talk about the book and that makes it a lot easier to like make friends because enthusiasm and like joy is infectious I think Um, yes absolutely and you're showing a piece of yourself and they like to see that they like to see the human behind the book yeah yes exactly um Okay, so there are some things that track across all genres, regardless of the niche size, like using reader magnets and having a mailing list. Um, But I've spoken to a number of niche authors in different niches now um, who all say some variation of the normal tactics or channels that most people talk about don't necessarily work or they don't work in the same way for me in this genre. So I wondered if you guys would be willing to talk a little bit about that um, and maybe some of the things that do work, some of the things that don't, and any kind of uh, tactics or approaches that you've used to get around it. Yeah, I think, like, let's take BookBub, because um, I, I tried to create the sapphic BookBub, because BookBub, um, their list, I think, for LGBTQ plus is 280,000, but mostly that is MM readers, because the um, gay fiction is a, a much larger niche than uh, sapphic fiction. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, but um, I just know that when you're paying BookBub several hundred dollars, you're paying for a small sliver of an already small list on BookBub because the list is pretty small compared to the other list. Like if you went to like um, thrillers and stuff like that, their, their numbers are much higher. So it's like, do you want to spend money on something that's going to have where you're barely going to break even or do you want to spend the time to network and um, work around it by like when we have new releases um, we ask um, some of the authors in the genre to help spread it spread the news about the new release so like we can schedule like a new release schedule like like Jay will include it in her newsletter and then Claire will include it and stuff like that and so that's how we kind of do the workaround by drawing on the strong sense of community in the sapphic fiction world where um, readers, um, bloggers, reviewers, and authors are more willing to help get the word out. And you kind of build your own, what are, what are they called? It's not like, I guess maybe it is kind of like a street team. What it, I'm, I'm trying to remember that woman who talks about it in um, some of the book fairs. Penny something where she talks about get your super fans. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) So like, you know, remember names. So I'm doing well today. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So it's kind of like build your own, build your own support network is how I've survived in the sapphic fiction. And um, like 
you can do you could do bookbub and we occasionally do spend the money on bookbub because like you still there are there are readers on it and you just have to know that like um you're probably going to break even but I like to think of it as if you get new readers onto your own newsletter, your author newsletter, it's worth it. Facebook um, ads are a bit difficult because who are we going to target? Like Sarah Waters has a big following, but my books are nothing like Sarah Waters books. So I can't really be like, hey, if you like Sarah Waters, you're definitely going to love me because I don't write literary historical fiction. Like, I mean, it's just a different market. So um I think that's the driving force behind IHS is like we saw this void of where there wasn't enough marketing opportunities and we wanted to help people market. And I am, I'm the type who likes to help. Um, and then this obviously is a very personal reason for me because um, when I was coming out in the nineties in Colorado, it was not a fun time to come out as a, LGBTQ in Colorado, especially. And I remember standing outside of Matthew Shepard's hospital window when he was dying. Um, so being part of the LGBT community can be lonely. It can be scary, but it's also a very beautiful and wonderful community. And I like to tap into the good. I like to see the good. And so that is why we work so hard on IHS because um, what we keep saying lately with all the hate going on these days is we want to put more rainbows out into the world so that is our mission who doesn't love a fucking rainbow i mean for goodness sake like (laughs) um ah yeah i i don't even know where to start replying to that i think that is it like l the lgbt space lgbtq plus space the queer community feels like the most found family community I have ever experienced. Like just in general, everybody is so accepting of whatever your difference is. And like that makes it such a special place to be because everybody fits like no matter what. And yeah, sorry. Yeah, it is a special place. And that's, I think, one of the reasons where a lot of readers become authors because they have stories they want to share in And it's one of those genres where I encourage everyone to write because the more we share, the less scary it is for the people who like hate, like we're just normal people. And the more we share the normal, like any story, it just, when people read it, like when people outside the community read it and they're just like, oh, wow, this is like something I, they're just, they're just people. And so I think it helps um, turn the tide against the hate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think one of the reasons that I'm afraid of doing like Facebook ads is partly because I I still think there's quite a lot of homophobia on Facebook, if I'm honest. So like that's really put me off um, Facebook ads in particular. But do you find that there are other types of ads? So I know that we've said with BookBub featured deals, so that's in the newsletter, that they will only break even. What about like the CPM or CPC ads at the bottom, like where you can really hyper target? Or what about um, AMS ads where you can kind of tailor the um, uh, target uh, books or or, uh, authors? Do you find that those mainstream things don't work either? Or are they some of the things that do work? They, in in my experience, and I I think I've run most of the ads for for our books, um, they are a lot harder. there's the the targeting is difficult because the um they don't we don't have so a lot of a lot of the successful facebook ads rely on having a very big name in your um genre and being able to target stephen king fans and you will get enough of those that you can get a good sample of of people that you're um, that you're targeting, and we just don't have. As TB was saying, uh, you know, you can choose someone like a Sarah Waters, but that is, you know, that that's one specific type of book. And we're talking about when you say sapphic fiction, it's kind of, it's it's almost not helpful to talk about it as a genre because it's a collection of genres, and just as you have in any other um literary genre 
you know, people have their preferences and, and we have science fiction and we have fantasy. We have contemporary romance, historical romance. Like there's there's every type of book. And, and when people are asking for something like the, things are so specific, you know, they some people want a lot of steaminess. Other people are looking for something that is completely not steamy. You know, people want so many things. So you can't just say like, oh yeah, there's that one book and it did really well. And so I'm just going to say, hey, if you liked that famous one book, then you're going to like mine too, because it, it just, so it, the resources aren't set up for that. Um, we've had some minor success with running um, the, the bottom of the page bookbub um, ads. But again, uh, the books that you're targeting, it becomes very, uh, if you want to get a really targeted, you know, because really your book is only probably like two or three of the authors, but you end up having to target 15 authors before you hit their magic number of, oh, you have enough people now to, to get your ad out there. So it is complicated uh, by the variety, but also the the small the small size for the amount of variety that we have. Um, one thing we did do over uh, the course of the last year with the the relaunch of the website is we took some advertising opportunities in larger publications. So we had a series of ads that ran in um, book riots, uh, LGBTQ um, newsletter, which they've, and we actually even uh, did in some of their mainstream newsletters. So we had a, uh, we had an ad that ran in uh, just like their romance readers um, that reaches, you know, several hundred thousand people um, who are mainly not LGBTQ readers. But, um, you know, there's opportunity along with the difficulties because um, the other thing that I think we hear so often um, along with, I want a book that reflects exactly my story is that um, I didn't know that these books even existed. And, you know, we hear from people who have identified queer for decades and said, and I, you know, I love romance and it only, I only found out four days ago that there are such a thing as, as these books. So that's, that's literally my story. Like, and I don't even know what the fuck I was thinking, but like, I, you know, I've read since I was a child. I have been queer since I was a young teen. And like, for some reason, I just didn't marry the two together. And I'd even read, like I'd read a couple of Claire's books back when I first joined um, the indie sphere. And still it didn't actually register to me that like the magic of what it was that I was reading. And so like, I've gone back now and I've got, you know, oh my God, this is amazing. And like, I think it was about 18 months ago. It really clicked that actually, I, I can't even remember what the book was that I read, but I read a book and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is me. This is my love. Like this is, this is what I have every day. And it just changed everything. And then I started devouring sapphic books. But like you said, <laughs> the sapphic books that I was reading, a lot of it was young adult. And like, I got through, I don't know, 30, 40 books. And I was like, oh, I'm really feeling like this is a dry spell. Like, I don't know what's wrong with it. And then somebody was like, oh, you should read, read Queen Takes Rose, which is like a very spicy mm -hmm. um, sapphic book. And then I was like, oh, that was what was missing. So like, I'm exactly one of those people that you're talking about where it's like, no, no, no. I want sapphic, but I also want it to be spicy. And preferably I'd like it to be fancy, which is so hard because the majority of um books in 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 that sell well in the sapphic sphere are contemporary romance so i've like really handcuffed myself <laughs> badly uh because i'm not writing contemporary romance i'm writing fantasy but it's exactly what i want so like you know i'm gonna have to carry on doing it now but anyway yeah i'm one of those people who experienced that journey as well and i just i just can't i just can't fathom why it took me so long to have the realization it was like a real come to jesus moment when i when i did like open my eyes and start reading uh, well, I, think, I think part of the problem is is like um a lot of the stuff available in the mainstream like the movies the tv shows and everything like it's usually just like the token sapphic couple that it, 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 there wasn't a lot of focus on like it i mean there are there have been some shows that had success like um orange is the new black and stuff like that but they're still kind of a rarity and um, I think that is part of the problem because we just are so used to being surrounded by 
not having, not being included, that we we also start thinking that way too. Like, oh, this probably doesn't exist because we just don't exist. Or or the endings are that we get killed off. Like ultimately, right. that's like the other thing that happens. Like we can all mention the very popular TV show <laughs> recently, which I'm still pissed about. Um, but yeah, that like that's the other thing that that happens to us as well. Um, yeah. Okay, so. I realize that we are rapidly running out of time. So I'm going to ask, what do you, like, are there any mistakes a new sapphic author could make? And when I say mistake, that could be either craft or it could be on like the marketing side. Yeah, I think there are probably two mistakes um, that that come to mind immediately. Uh, One being on the craft side, people who either and and i think it can be it can go both ways people who spend not enough time uh, making that first book ready um getting the the readers um you know input from beta readers input from editors really polishing it and getting it ready uh the other issue um can be taking too long doing putting so much into a book that that is going to have a small audience and that is going just by the nature of it being a, you know, an unknown author and pouring so much energy and time into it that they don't know, um, you know, it's exhausting and they haven't even had their first book out. And then I think on the, on the marketing side of things, um, a lot of people can, can come up with a really good book, a solid, um, you know, a, a solid product that they have no, that they don't think of as a product and Uh. they don't think of in terms of, um, of what this means for a future, for a career. They have like, here's my book, but they haven't thought about, um, a mailing list, a reader magnet, um, you know, where are they going to advertise? How are they going to do that? Does it work? Are they listening to a podcast like this to find out, you know, is that money that they throw at a Facebook ad going to do anything for them? So it's the preparation. And, and a lot of times um, because readers, especially in sapphic fiction, love new books and new authors, a new author who really hits it right with a good cover, a good blurb, hitting the right tropes, they're probably going to be surprised by how many people read that first book. And if they don't have that link at the end of the book with their mailing, you know, their their newsletter sign up and maybe a website, some indication of I have another book planned, follow me for more. It's that lost opportunity of you could have thousands of people, especially if it's in Kindle Unlimited and you get, you know, hundreds of thousands of page reads and you get so many people buying it. And then you've kind of just left them with like, well, okay, Thanks for reading. <laughs> and it it's not the planning for the success and how you're going to harness that into the next book and the next book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was like the one big thing that I vowed not to fuck up this time. Uh, because the first time I launched, I was like super eager just to get the fucking thing out because I'd rewritten it from scratch three times. And it had taken me nearly four bloody years to get the first book done. Obviously, like we speed up over the years. But this time I was like, no, I've got like, I don't even know how many years of publishing behind me this time. I was like, even though I know I'm handicapping myself by how small of a like niche that I'm going into, I know that I can set my myself up with an on brand cover with a mailing list with a prequel with a different reader magnet for the bag like to have book two up and ready so like I definitely agree with and the the crazy thing is like surprising absolutely nobody I've almost surpassed my highest pre-orders ever like and that's across my whole non-fiction business as well which is insane like I, I just can't I can't even fathom how that is possible. (laughs) But obviously having that infrastructure in place makes all of the difference. And I still like, there's still so much more I can do. So many more people I can like try and collaborate with or network and like, yeah, anyway, I just, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. And I'm going to do like a really big um, bonus episode literally on everything that I've learned from starting a new pen name in 2023. Uh, So I I think, I I hope that's going to be helpful to people, but 
This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Who's going to go first? <laughs> I'll go I'll go first because mine is short. Um, but it is, for me, it's taking the leap to be a full-time author um, and support myself with that. And because of some life circumstances coming at me as they did over the last few years, it happened at a time where normally... I would have been a planner. And, you know, if people ask me for advice, how do I, you know, oh, well, save up the money and make sure you have six months worth of expenses and all of that. And I did not do that because I was put into a position um, where I had to make some decisions very quickly and um, just saying, you know what? Yeah, I can make this work, even though I have no track record of having accomplished this in the past. I'm going to do it and it's just going to work. So. Yeah, that was it for me. Not to get too woo-woo, but I definitely think there is something to that. Like when you just decide it has to happen and that's the end of it. And therefore you just go and make it happen. I yeah. I really do feel like there is a bit of magic in that decision-making. Like I, I always talk about how I think there's two types of decision. There's a decision and then there's a decision. And like when you make that second type of decision, the whole universe just gets out of your way and like helps you lay that path down. Um, but I'll stop being woo-woo now. <laughs> TV, what about you? Well, mine's kind of similar, but it's a little different. I, I, I focused on the writing part. Um, but yeah, so back in 2010, I went to New Orleans on my own for just a, a small trip. And um, New Orleans is one of those cities. It was the first time I'd been there, but I read about it a lot. And there's a lot of famous writers from there. And like I went and stood outside of Anne Rice's house where she um, um, based it on the Mayfair witches. And it was just like a mag it's a magical city. I love New Orleans. And like you can just feel in the air like this writer community in this. And it's also, you know, it's very accepting on all levels of different types and everything and it was a fantastic trip and I remember sitting in a uh, restaurant deja vu on my last day like my luggage was packed and on the chair next to me and I was having one last drink a gin and tonic in a meal before I had to fly back to cold Boston because it was like January and it was snowing and everything and I remember sitting down at the table and I was uh, writing in my diary and I was like writing about like, you know, how amazing the time was and how it was truly inspirational. And then I wrote, I want to be a writer. And then um, I took a, I set my pen down. I took a sip of gin and tonic and then I picked up my pen and I crossed it out and I wrote in all caps, I am a writer. Oh, I love that so much. I and from that, that moment on, I believed 100% that I would do this. And now I do support myself full time by my writing. Oh. And it, I, 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 I put all of the credit to New Orleans and I always, I'm always like, I need to go to New Orleans. I need to go back. I need to tap into that magic. But um, that is when I, I mean, I wanted to be a writer since I was in the sixth grade. So that's like 11 or 12. But um, yeah, that was the time where I finally gave my, myself permission to think of myself as a writer and I oh. hadn't published yet, but. No, I love that. I think it I think there's so much power in like giving ourselves permission. And like I don't so many of us like restrict and hamper ourselves by either external expectations or expectations that we've made up like because of societal pressure or because we think that that's what other people want us to do when really actually the only people that or the only opinions that we should worry about truly are our own because at the end of end of life not to get too morbid but it's it's our own judgment that we that we have to face like did i live the best life that i could and uh, so I bloody love that rebellion. I absolutely love it. Tell everyone where they can find out more about both of you and your books and your services and anything else that you would like to add. Um, yeah, best place would be iheartsapphic.com uh, with a, an F in there just to make it difficult. Although we've also bought every other possible spelling uh, domain for that, knowing going into it that we were just... TB was so mad at me when I convinced her to spell sapphic with the F I C at the end, because um, she said, I will never get this right ever. So, Can you explain why we did that though? Yeah. So the reason is going with lesfic. Um, it, it was, you know, saf 
fic being the the fiction part so we liked that better as a term and we are you know actually happy to see that it's a term that more people i think are using to talk about the genre but um yeah knowing that we were making it difficult we do actually have like every permutation possible so even if you spell it wrong but yeah that's where you're going to find not only our work but every every possible like our goal really is to get every every sapphic book on the planet into that database eventually so trad and indie yeah trad okay. indie big publishers Red. small publishers everybody cool. I will definitely send you my database because yeah, I, I was holding on to it like I don't know if I should just send this or if I'm being rude by sending this and going, Do you want this? <laughs> so yeah. We do. We okay. do want it. Yeah. Okay. And, and and for people who are listening, if you've written like memoirs or um diaries or nonfiction, we want that as well. We want this to um be inclusive of everyone. So yes, we want it. Okay, superb. Well, thank you so, so, so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to TB Markinson and Miranda McLeod. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Rebecca Thorne, who is a bit of a TikTok machine uh, and a cosy fantasy writer. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.